The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I'd like to invite you to stretch out your hand and open up a Bible with me as we turn to the scriptures together in Psalm 90. We have already heard Psalm 90 actually twice this morning. We have heard it read as part of our call to worship and we also sung Isaac Watts's paraphrase of Psalm 90, that opening hymn that we sung, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, was a hymn that was written based off of Psalm 90. And so it's now time that we all turn together to it. It's on page 496 of a blue pew Bible. And if there's not one right nearby you, there should be one close by in the pew rack. And it's uh, good that we turn together. So please do in Psalm 90. Uh, As you're turning there, of course, it's it's that time where we're kind of at the intersection of, of days. Uh, kids are getting ready to go back to school. College students are soaking up the last little bits of their break in anticipation of having to go back to school as well. Or maybe you've been on work break. Or, uh, but it's time to go back, right? And it's time to re-engage and time to get back to work, go back to school and re-engage the mind. And that's what we're going to look to try to do this morning to wake up our minds to a very important reality. But first, I want to give you a little bit of history uh, because there is an old tradition, I think I've told you this before, an old tradition in the American Presbyterian tradition to, to choose a special text for the new year and to preach that regularly. And in the context of the history of American Presbyterianism in the colonies, that text used to be Jeremiah 2816. In the 18th century especially, uh, Presbyterian ministers would preach Jeremiah 28.16 every year. And Jeremiah 28.16 is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the false prophet Haniah. And the text of Jeremiah 28.16 is this. This year you shall die. (laughs) Happy New Year, right? And that was the text that the Presbyterian ministers preached every single year, except for the fact that in the 18th century, Aaron Burr, who was the father of the third vice president, preached that text on January 1st, 1757, and that fall he died. And then in following years, January 1st, 1761, Samuel Davies, who was the fourth president of Princeton, he preached that text on New Year's Day, and he died the next month. And so you won't be surprised that the Presbyterian ministers stopped preaching that text... Uh, on the new year, except for the fact that Psalm 90 has actually become adopted in Presbyterian traditions especially to be um, an appropriate text for the new year. And and we've done that for for several years here in Edgington because it is a most appropriate portion of Scripture uh, for reflection at the new year. Now, uh, even though we're not going to preach Jeremiah 28, 16, um, they had a point, didn't they? A morbid point, no doubt but a point nonetheless. And at the opening of a new year, we have this tendency to, to take stock and to, to really stop to think. We, we think about the year that's passed and we start to anticipate the year that's ahead and uh, there's so much that we didn't foresee that happened last year and there's so much that's going to happen this year that we can't quite anticipate. But 2019 will be as 2018 was, a, a year under God's care and in his hand. And so this is the truth that we must remind ourselves 
of. And so whether you are a young student, a, a college student, whether you're out of school and working or retired, no matter who you are, one of the most important pieces of knowledge that you need to know and what you need to be reflecting on, especially this time of year, is who is your God? Who is your God? Who is he? And what is he? We don't often stop and think deeply about who is God. Well, we have all kinds of beliefs and truths about who God is, and our catechism teaches us that God is a spirit who is infinite and eternal, unchangeable. But how often do we think about that? That thought it comes into our minds in the midst of Psalm 90, and here we need to find something solid to hold on to because everything changes, but Psalm 90 presents to us a truth that does not change, has not ever been changed, and will never change, which is God himself. And you and I need that in 2019. We have needed it in years past, and we will ever need it, and to be confident of this truth that God will not and has not changed. And Psalm 90 will point us in this direction. So let us pray and then hear God's word and rest upon it today. Father, with the scriptures open before us, how, how we long to hear you speak to us. Father, we're so busy. We have so many things on our schedule. We listen to so many things and so many people's opinions and thoughts. But Lord, we pause to hear your word which is our authority and our truth. And so, Lord, speak to us, we pray. Give us understanding. Illuminate for us the Bible in ways that we have not understood in the past or perhaps to see things that are new or fresh for us. But, Lord, fill our minds with the truth and our hearts full of love for Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word from Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us 
and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And so may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. As I said, this is an appropriate psalm for the new year for lots and lots of reasons, but you may be interested to know if you're thinking about time frames and years and all the rest that Psalm 90 is actually one of the oldest portions of Scripture. Um, It is older than any other psalm in the Bible. It is given to us by Moses' own hand under divine inspiration. It is as old probably as uh, the book of Job, perhaps, which is the oldest portion of scripture. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, later on. And so Genesis actually isn't the oldest book in the Bible, but rather Job. And then Psalm 90 fits somewhere closely to that. But Moses writes this psalm, uh, as you see there at the very beginning under the title, this introduction, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. He is writing this psalm during that period of biblical history that we know as the Exodus and after the Exodus where Israel has been let out of slavery in Egypt and has been set free by God's strength of his hand and delivered into what is a period of wilderness wanderings in the books of Numbers and the books of Deuteronomy and the books of Exodus that give us this history of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And this psalm is written in reflection of a very important piece of history. And that history is, is that the generation that came out of Egypt was not the generation that was allowed to go into the promised land because they did not believe that God would protect them. They didn't believe that God would really provide safety for them. And so they looked at God's promises and they concluded that they were not true. And so for that generation's unfaithfulness, God has Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation passes away so that the next generation can go into the promised land, not stained by the unbelief of their forefathers, but with faith that God will do as he says. And Psalm 90 is written by Moses as he witnesses that unfaithful generation pass away. Now, if you want to think about metrics for just a moment, Exodus 38 tells us that there were somewhere along the lines of 600,000 men in the Exodus of Israel. 600,000 men. So without counting women and children, uh, usually we assume that somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 to 3 million people is what made up the total of Israelites leaving Egypt in Exodus and then wandering in the wilderness. Two to three million people. And of the two to three million, an entire generation passes away. Think of that. An entire generation passes away and Moses sees all of that. And he is reflecting on that truth of the frailty of our lives, the mortality of the human race, He sees all of that, and it does something in his heart. And you know what? It does something in our hearts too, doesn't it? I mean, we have several families just in the last several weeks that have been touched especially with the frailty of human life, and it's difficult. 
the frailty of human mortality. And, and more than that, uh, we have seen, you have most likely seen, generations pass away. There, there was an entire generation that used to sit in these pews that isn't here anymore. And several ages passed. And if the Lord tarries, there will be a time when none of us are still in these pews. And there will be others who sit where you are to hear the promises of a faithful God and sing his praises beneath these stained glass windows. And Psalm 90 reflects on the transient frailty and the temporal nature of human life. And though it may seem to be such a morbid thought, perhaps, it is actually not something that is supposed to inspire morbidity and depression and sorrow, but rather coming to terms with reality and looking the frailty of human life in the face and coming to terms with a greater reality than just this life on this earth. You know, my perspective is different than yours at places like funeral homes and funeral services. Um, you all are usually looking one direction and I'm looking the opposite direction and I get to see people's faces. I get to see people's faces when we conduct services at funeral homes and you know you, you process forward at the end of the service. I have seen hopeless looks on people's faces. I have seen sorrow that is almost incalculable to understand. And I have also seen comfort and peace. I've seen the full spectrum. We as humans don't deal very well generally with this topic. And the Bible gives us so much content to comfort our hearts and the realization of all of these things and it is especially important at a new year to keep stock of all these things and to focus on this reality that though time changes and seasons change and years pass and life blossoms and fades Moses says God is forever God is eternal God is solid he is a rock he is a comfort he is exactly what we frail humans need to face our mortality with assurance and confidence that's exactly what Psalm 90 does and it does it in two ways if you'll notice verses 1 and 2 are about God and from there the rest of the psalm is about us humanity and what Moses is doing is, is he's taking the truth of who God is in verses 1 and 2 and contrasting that against the reality of our human nature and saying we need a rock and we need a surety and we need a comfort and we need an anchor and God is that for us. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on what Moses is saying in verses 1 and 2 and see exactly what it means and, and pray that we grab hold of that just a little bit more than we have in the past. You know, I don't, I don't know where you are today and I don't, I don't know, you know, whether your tank is totally empty and you're barely holding on or whether you feel great or whatever the case might be. Don't, no matter who you are, no matter season of life you're in or what you're facing, you need this. We need this. So let's look again at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What's Moses saying? 
He's saying this, that God is eternal. The eternality of our God from everlasting to everlasting. It's a massive statement. And Moses is saying, God, you are this. And not only are you this outside and away from us, you are also our God in this very personal way. Notice how he says it in the middle of verse 1 when he calls God our dwelling place. And if you see there's a footnote on that text, you could look down at those notes and notice that that word dwelling place is actually just one word in Hebrew. It could also be translated as refuge. God, you are our refuge. It means habitation. It means hiding place. God is our dwelling place. It's just like saying in more common language, God is our home. He's our home. And think about again who Moses is praying for and praying about at this time for for Israel in the wilderness. They are a nation that doesn't have a home. They're wandering in the wilderness. They literally live in tents and sleep under the stars. They would be tempted to say, we've been out here forever. And Moses is saying, no, God is our dwelling place. He's our home. And they say, no, we don't have a home. And Moses says, yes, you do. God is your home. You know, for you, home might conjure up all kinds of wonderful thoughts, wonderful feelings, wonderful memories. For others, home might bring hard or harsh memories, whatever the case might be. When Moses says that God is our dwelling place, it is to bring about all the infinite comfort that you could ever imagine with respect to the home that you grew up or maybe different from the home that you grew up in. God is our dwelling place in such a way that he brings to you the feeling of peace and comfort and belonging. You're welcome here. You have a place at this table. He wants you. He loves you. That's what it means. That he has not cast you out or away, but he said, come, you belong here. God is your home. And knowing God in this way gives us peace and comfort. But if we don't know God in that way, if he is only far away from us and an impersonal God, then this doesn't mean anything. Moses wants us to understand that God is a God who longs for us, if you like, to come into his home and be welcome and enjoy his fellowship and know him and call him father rather than just some God out there. He is our father. Home, the location of home may change as you age and grow up. But this is a home that never changes. In all generations, Moses says, every single generation, the Lord is our dwelling place. Think of maybe perhaps the memory of of your loved ones, perhaps uh, only in your memory, a a faithful grandmother, a faithful grandfather, an uncle, or or someone that you call to mind when you think of someone who was a, a rock of faith, a rock of strength. This God was their home too. And the God of your father, the God of your mother, the God of your grandfather, the God of your grandmother is our God. He is ours and he is our home. And this God is ours and he never changes. You know, kids love to ask that question and adults ask the question too. They're just too afraid to actually verbalize it. Well, if God made everything, 
Right? See that in verse 2. Moses says that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the kids say, and the adults think, okay, if God made everything, right? I mean, who made him? And what's, what's Moses' answer to that question, of course? Nobody. No one makes God. He is pre-existent. He is eternal. He has existence within himself. He simply is. If you think of chronology and time, God created that. He's outside of time. You cannot go into your imagination to a time or a space or a place in which God did not exist exactly as he still is today and always will. That's what it means when we say that God is eternal. That is beyond the capacities of the finite nature of our human minds. And yet Moses is saying, think of your God in this way, unchanging and eternal. No one made God before the earth existed, before the mountains were formed. You are God. As the Bible says in the beginning, in the beginning, God. And the point that he's making there is that that's not true of me. That's true of him, and it's not true of you. 2019 won't look like 2018 did, and beyond and beyond. And if you need proof of that, you look in the mirror, right? And he's getting at this fact. The sands of time are sinking and we live in this rapidly changing world and morality changes and identity changes and definitions of things change and the culture shifts. Everything around us is in flux and here is this immovable rock in the midst of all that changes and it's God himself, our God. And what that means for you, whether you are a child, a teenager, an adult, whether you have more gray hair than you ever thought you ever would or whatever, that this is the God, this God is the one who promises you that he loves you. This is the God who promises you that he'll never leave you or forsake you. This is the God who promises to you that in Christ your sins are forgiven. And so every time we are tempted to doubt what God has said to us, we must remember the God who has made that promise, that he doesn't lie, that he doesn't change his mind, that he is not as we are, like a boat that gets tossed in the ocean and constantly shifting. No, he is eternal and his love towards you in Jesus Christ is ever true today as it will be tomorrow. That's why he's our refuge, our constant, sure, eternal dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. And that, at the end of verse two, from everlasting to everlasting, that's a strange way to bookmark time, isn't it? Because it's beyond the bookmarks of time itself. Before eternity and after eternity. And the point is, is that all of verses 3 through 17, all of the history of your life and mine exists between these everlastings. 
from before eternity to after eternity is all of our lives and all of earth's history. Everything that fits in books or has ever been told or ever will be told, your life and mine exist between these everlastings. And we find our existence in the midst of God's eternality between his everlastings is all of our existence, all of life on earth, all of life in heaven, all of life in the new heavens and the new earth is between these everlastings. We are encompassed and surrounded and enveloped in the truth of God's everlasting infinite existence and Moses is saying people of God what more do you need than that what greater truth is there to comfort you what greater peace is there to give you hope What greater infinite joy is there than that to comfort you in the midst of all of your trials? Now locate yourself here in the rest of this. Find your comfort in this. And no, we said verse 1 and 2 is where we're primarily staying. But contrast this to the permanence of all that's fleeting. Notice how many times Moses makes reference to our years and our days and our lives in the rest of the psalm. In verse 4, he says, A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. In 5 and 6, our lives are as withering grass that comes to life in the morning sunshine and then casts off the dew and then fades away. In verse 9, all of our days and all of our years are there. In verse 10, it says they're soon gone and they fly away. Verse 12 is the principle, help us to number these days, even though we don't know their numbers, but God himself does. And so verse 14, all of our days. In verse 15, however many days, however many years are all in the sight of this God. I was reading a letter uh, this past week uh, written by John Newton, and that's a name that we might be familiar with. You know, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, and he was famous not just for writing hymns, but also for writing letters. And he was writing a letter to one of his closest friends as he came to the end of his life. And he said to his friend, I feel that the sand in my glass is beginning to be numbered. The sand in my glass is beginning to be numbered in picture of this hourglass. Again, loved ones, this is not depressing. It's actually life-giving. It's peace imparting that you, amen, (laughs) that you are not the center of your reality. You are not the center of your life, but this God is. At the beginning of this new year, that's exactly where our minds need to be, that though the sands of time may be sinking, God is eternal. He is our eternal dwelling place. In this brief life, we want to see our lives existing under this eternal reality of God himself. So, dear friends, see this. Know this. Believe it and seal it to your hearts. And as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, come in faithful confidence that this is your God who ever loves you and gave himself for you. Let us pray. Our great God, we thank you that you are one who is not distant and far off from us, but made known to us in your Son, whom we have just celebrated this Christmas season. And so, Lord, we want to know our lives in relationship to who you are. And so, Lord, we pray, become bigger in our sight, become more glorious. Become more worthy of all of our honor and obedience than you have been in the past. And so draw us near to you that our affection for you might increase. Our love for Jesus might be more than it was last year. And our willingness to serve and live 
and perhaps even to die, be given to you with heartfelt faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.